Now let's turn to God's Word as we find it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be reading this evening the entire chapter, including the first two verses or a portion of the second verse of chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hear then God's word. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my practice, or my patience, excuse me, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. As far as the reading of God's word again this evening. Brother Doug, could I ask you to stand and offer prayer tonight?
none. I apologize, there are two of you. <laughs> Forget that sometimes. One of the Dugs stood and prayed. <laughs> Want to look at three things again from this text of Scripture as well as others that we will delve into this evening. Answering the question that the Belgic is placing before us tonight, what are the scriptures? What are they? The first thing we want to note is that they are the inspired word of God. That's where we begin. The scriptures are the inspired word of God. Secondly, that the scriptures are the defined word of God. Thirdly, we want to close by looking at what is the reason for the scriptures? Why is it that we have these ancient words? Why is it that God desires for us to have this word that we call the word of God, the scriptures? So those three points. First of all, the inspired word of God. The major point, or one of the major points that Paul is making here is the fact that, that we need to be those who make a confession regarding the scriptures. Because of the day and age that he is warning will come to Timothy, even in Timothy's lifetime, certainly as we read those opening verses, we certainly look at our society and our world today. Indeed, there probably has not been a time in human history where those words could not have been stated. We live in a world of sin, and we live in a world of sinful people. But there seems to be, in Paul's writing here, a heightening. That there will be a continued, growing heightening of disregard for the word of God. Therefore, it becomes incumbent upon God's people to understand what Scripture is. So as Paul is seeking to, to, to instruct Timothy, this, this young pastor, what are you going to do against this onslaught of sin, of unbelief, of skepticism? of those who even within the church are going to deny the truth of God's word. You make a confession. All scripture is breathed out by God. That confession means something. You know, we talk about the inspiration of scripture and Perhaps some of your versions might even use that term. But, but it's a term that's, that's actually lacking. You, you could take the Greek, although it'd be very tough to, to figure that out and to get that out of it. It means that God breathed out these words. He didn't just inspire people to write. See, I, I could probably go out in a, in a little bit and watch that sunset and I could be inspired by that sunset. 
That sunset might, might inspire me. It might inspire me to write a poem. It might inspire me to draw a picture. It, it might inspire me to do a great work of art. It might inspire me to sing. But that's not what Scripture is. It isn't that just that God gave these men some idea. He planted some idea and said, now run with it. Let's see what you come up with. I, I inspired you. I, I gave you the idea. Now go with it. See, that, that in essence is what our songs are for the greater part. They're, they're, they're hymns. They're, they're inspiration. Somebody looked at a verse. They were inspired by a verse. Maybe they heard a sermon Maybe there were incidences in their life that took place that they're pouring back into a text of scripture and they're inspired to write a hymn. But that's different than the scriptures, which are the breathed out word of God. If I were, for example, to go out and just give you an example of this again, let, let's just think about that sunset. And let's just say Bob's really inspired by that. And let's say we're back in, oh, let's say 1750. And, and I just look at that sunset and I start writing and I say, how great thou art. And that, that sunset, just how great God is. And, and I go on with the rest of the song. Those words that I'm writing are my words. And because they're my words, there may be mistakes, there may be errors. They are not perfect words. That's different than what Paul is telling us about Scripture. He is saying that the very words of Scripture have been breathed out by God. This is the very breath of God. That points to, and, and the way in which that term is used is, is it reminds us of the fact that God is almighty. It reminds us that God is sovereign. It reminds us of God saying, let there be light. And there was light. That power, that authority. See, that's more than an inspiration. That's more than some feeling that I, that I get in the pit of my stomach or in my heart or, or in my head to do something. It's God's very word that he is breathing out into the hearts and minds of these men who are writing in their own situation, in their own circumstances, in their own style. Yet God has seen fit to take their circumstances, to take their style, to take their learning, to take that which they have experienced and to Make sure that the words that are being written on that page are his words. 
That's what Paul is telling Timothy. So in the godlessness of the day and age, and the day and age in which people deny the truth of God, we need, you need, Timothy, to stand and to say and to confess all Scripture is God-breathed. Not all Scripture is God-inspired, but it's God-breathed. And Timothy, that's the word you need to preach. That's what needs to come. That's what people need to hear. The very breathed out word of God. It, it's not the idea of, and, and maybe I'm, I'm just beating the dead horse, but, but I want to make sure we grasp this, because this is, this is essential in, in our Christian life. You may come and, and watch a presentation from a missionary. You may see the, the work in Costa Rica. You may see the work that's going on in, in Uruguay when Pastor Jeremy comes in a few weeks. Or you may see what, uh, maybe you, you saw what, what Pastor Workama presented from, from Matthew's house. You may go, boy, you know, I just look at that and I... I just feel inspired. I, I want to help. I want to go. I, I want to be involved. Now, there's nothing wrong with that inspiration. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what Paul is telling Timothy the scriptures are. Because you see, I might look at that and I might be inspired to do so, but I might be inspired, for example, to go to Costa Rica because... Wow, look at that. The sun's shining and it's July or it's January and there's no snow on the ground. Well, that's kind of fun. I'm inspired to go. But not necessarily for noble purposes, am I? I might be inspired to go because I want to meet some of the people that are there. I, I might be inspired to go because I want to see the finished product. But we would say that, that perhaps there's something not right about those in the, in the, in the true sense of, of having truly a, a mission thought about it. God's word is breathed out. In fact, the, the very word that Paul uses here is from where we get okay, the idea of, of, of lungs. We get the idea of, of pneumonia. That comes from this. We get the idea of the difficulty of breathing. All of this has its roots back in the word that Paul is saying. He is, he is telling us literally that these words, God breathed out as much as God breathed into Adam. And Adam became a living being. So God breathed out. Now keep your finger here at 2 Timothy. Okay, and go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be at verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture, now remember what Scripture is. All Scripture is God-breathed. Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture, that which God has breathed out, comes from someone's own interpretation. This isn't what I think. This isn't Paul saying, I think this is what God means. Or I feel that God is leading me in this direction. No own interpretation. Verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is remind, or Peter is reminding us here that, that the word of God, the scriptures, are that which the Holy Spirit has produced in God's breathing out his word. If they are then the breathed out word of God, Those words have to be true. And Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed. Not some scripture, not some parts. All scripture, every word is a breathed out word of God. Therefore, if its source is God, then it must be true. It has to be true. Else you have a God that is speaking lies. God would cease to be God if he's lying. His own nature prohibits him from lying. He is a holy God. He is without sin. He is sovereign in all things. See, because they are God's word, whatever God speaks in his word is true. Not just when God addresses topics like salvation, but when God addresses science. God's right. When God addresses history, God is right. When God addresses relationships, God is right. When God addresses sin, God is right. When God addresses who he is, God is right. Because he's the one who breathed out all scripture. The inspired word of God. Always true. Always true. It's what ancient words is captivating for us in that, in that hymn, isn't it? This is the very heart of God. The author doesn't use the term breathed out, but, but he's expressing the fact that this came from God, and it comes from God directly. 
It is that which God has given to us to stand on, to confess as being his truth. But God's word also is defined. What is, or what are, perhaps, is the better way to state it, the scriptures? Well, if, if, you, if you were listening when we, when we went through reading through the Belgic Confession, there is a word that keeps coming back. Canon, canonical. And maybe for some of you, you're, you're kind of like lost. You don't quite get it. Maybe if you're young, you're, you're wondering why it is that we're talking about the Bible and some cannon that goes kaboom and shoots a, a ball through the air and lands and knocks down some earthworks somewhere or some fort somewhere. We're, we're wondering, you're probably wondering, what's the connection? Well, the word cannon here one is not spelled the way boom canon is spelled. This canon means a rule. It means a measuring, a standard. Think of the word canon as being a tape measure, or as a yardstick, or as a ruler. See, there is a standard of measurement there. Now, let's, let's just imagine, okay? Let, let's just, I got a number of builders here. Let's suppose that all the builders in our church are working together on a project, okay? I, I don't want to say the project. That will cause more furor. So we'll, we'll just say they're working together on a project. Let's, no, let's do this. Let's say that the builders in our church have decided to work together on a project from Matthew's house. That makes it pretty easy to go with. Okay. So, Brent pulls out his tape measure, and Brent says, Mr. DeGraff, I need a board that is 24 inches, because I took my tape measure, and I measured 24 inches. Mr. DeGraff says, okay, Brent, I will gladly, Mr. Heisma, cut you a board 24 inches. Okay. Mr. DeGraff takes out his tape measure, okay, and his 24 inches is, well, about from the pulpit to here. Because that's what's on his tape measure. So he cuts the board. He brings it to Mr. Heisman and says, here's your 24-inch board. And Mr. Heisman says, that's not 24 inches. Look, this is 10 feet. Mr. Wallinger says, okay, you guys, stop arguing. I'll cut the board. So Mr. Wallinga gets out his tape measure and he cuts the board to, oh, 24 inches. That's what it says on my tape measure. So he brings Mr. Heisma, okay, the 24-inch board. Mr. Heisma says, why do you give me this board? Look, it's only six inches. Mr. Wallinga says, no, look, on my tape measure, it's 24 See, what becomes the standard? How are you going to measure? So we agree upon a uniform standard of measurement. So a yard is a yard. A foot is 12 inches. And all of those inches are standard. 
I don't care which hardware store you go to in Greater Grand Rapids and buy a tape measure, every single one of them, one inch is one inch, one foot is one foot. Because there is a standard. That's a canon. What we're saying is the word of God has to, the scripture, by definition, have to fall within a line of measurement. These books, these 39 books of the Old Testament, these 27 books of the New Testament fall within the lines. How do we know they fall within the lines? Because these are the books that are breathed out by God. How do we know that? Because they themselves testify to it. They testify to it in their agreement. They testify to it in their authorship. And we say these books meet the test. They meet the canon. We place them within the canon of Scripture because they fall within the unit and standard of measurement that we use to determine if a book is indeed the sacred Scriptures. Is this book the breathed out Word of God? So Debray went through a great deal of trouble of writing down all 39 books of the Old Testament so, and the 27 books of the New Testament so we know what's in. And then Debray says, but there are these other books, these apocryphal books. These books fall outside of the lines. These books don't measure up. Why? Why are these books that are listed here in this, this article, for example, why, why is Jesus Syriac not a, not a, a canonical book? Why? One, we have no idea who wrote it. We have no idea when it was written. And within it, it contradicts that which is Scripture. Because you see, we have this little interesting thing of the fact that our Lord Jesus walked upon this earth and he confessed to the Scriptures being the Word of God. Hmm. Interestingly, those scriptures did not contain these books. They all come later. They don't meet the text. Might make interesting reading, as Debray said, but they're not the breathed out word of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus... Breathed out word. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Breathed out word. First, second Timothy. Breathed out word. James, Jude, Revelation. Breathed out word of God. So that when you and I pick up our Protestant Bibles, and in our Protestant Bible there are listed 39 books of the Old Testament that agree with the listing that we find in the Belgic, we look at the 27 books of the New Testament, they agree with the books that are found in the Belgic, 
we say these are the breathed out word of God. They fit the measurement. This is what we agree to. Now the question is, why did that matter? It matters because of 2 Timothy chapter 3. It matters because there is godlessness. It matters because there are always those questioning. It matters because there are always those who are creeping into households. There are always those who are seeking to be led astray. There are always those who are always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. There are all the, always those who are questioning, questioning, questioning the truth of God's breathed out word. Why did it matter? Because Debray and his little congregation there in the lowlands of the Netherlands are up against a world power that says you're wrong. That isn't the scripture. The scriptures include those apocryphal books. The breathed out word comes from the mouth of our pontiff. The breathed out word comes from our papa. The breathed out word comes from our pope. Bray and his little congregation are saying, that's not the word of God. But it's not just Rome. There is another group of people. They're called Anabaptists. Now, I, I don't want you to associate the term Anabaptist with Berlin Baptist. Anabaptist was the name that they gave at, at this particular time to a group of people, yes, it has to do with baptism and denying infant baptism, but perhaps more to the point here is the fact that these were people who believed that they were receiving direct revelations from God that were in direct violation of Scripture. But this, they said, was God's new word. There's a horrible history of a group of these Anabaptists that I believe lived in, in Munster, Germany. Okay, Horrible. Guy who's the leader says, I think God's revealed to me that I should have more than one wife. I should have your wife. You must give up your wife for me. Why? Because God revealed that to me. Ended in a horrible slaughter because they refused to, to obey the government of that day, and, and it ended in tragedy, but it all centered around this idea of additional inspiration. It's like the cults of today. Those of you high schoolers who, who were with us with the Jehovah's Witness presentation today, it's that idea of I got new knowledge. It's that which the New Testament church was constantly fighting, that, that heresy called Gnosticism, that idea of additional revelation. See, Paul is warning Timothy of this. Timothy, we're not to go down that road. All scripture is God-breathed. That's where we find it. 
in the written word of God. But you see, that's true of today as well, right? I mean, this verse, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Who does that remind you of who passed away this week? Right? Guy's got a brilliant mind. Always learning. Never able to arrive at the truth. Do you know on the moment he died, as one of our members pointed out to me, at the moment he died, he knew the truth. All his life he denied the existence of God. In the moment of his death, he faced that. One wonders how Mr. Hawking responded. Folks, this isn't just the atheist. These are the, the guys who are always learning, always digging, always trying to figure out how God's word isn't true. How there's some new-fashioned angle to understanding the word of God. How there's a new way to understand and read Genesis. How there's a new way to read and understand the resurrection. How there's a new way to understand what it means to be justified by faith. How there's a new way, a new way, a new way. Always learning, but never able to arrive at the simple truth that God gives to us in his inspired word. See, as much as Timothy needed to hear these words, you and I need to hear them as well. All Scripture is God-breathed. You see, the Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Do you understand the difference there? See, there are those even in our reform communities who argue today that you have to search the scriptures to find the word of God. That the word of God is in there somewhere. I'm smart enough so they would say, I'm not saying this, I'm smart enough to see it. Sorry, you're too unlearned. You need me to tell you what these scriptures say. Because they're not obvious in and of themselves. So you, they take a text like all scripture is God breathed. Well, now let's see. All scripture. Well, there was a man once who, who the Bible says had six fingers and six toes. Ah, that can't be. Well, the Bible says, you know, that, that God spoke and there was like, well, we know that can't be. Science tells us that. And I know all about science and I know all about physics. So I can tell you what that really means. Oh, I'm a poet. 
And I understand poetry, and I read Genesis 1 as poetry. So let's figure out what this means in poetic form. Always lose, but never able to arrive at the truth. Now, I promised you this morning a brief snippet as to why we're Orthodox Presbyterians. Here's the brief history lesson. Little Farms Chapel was founded in the early 50s. It was founded as a mission work of the Christian Reformed Church. Hope CRC in Granville, Michigan, generously agreed to help out with the cost of establishing a Sunday school in this area. As the Sunday school grew and developed, adults also wanted instruction. Hope CRC of Granville graciously built a building on the site of about where our gym is now. Over the course of time, Little Farms Chapel remained in the Christian Reformed Church. At one time, it even got rid of its mission status and became an established church in the Christian Reformed Church denomination. Hard times hit. That status was removed because it wasn't able to make its payments of dues that were required. Went back into mission status. Some even within the classes of which Little Farms was a part, wanted to shut the doors, didn't see much hope for it. Uh, there, there were a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties, a lot of stresses, a lot of strain. Uh, Little Farms was basically from uh, probably most of the 80s was sort of passed around. Oh man, do we really have to take Little Farms under our wings? Yeah. One Christian reform minister even spoke at a classes meeting and said, Little Farms Chapel is the armpit of the Christian Reformed Church. Horrible words. Spoken in a public gathering about God's people. Along about 1996, 95, 96, God graciously and in God's providence gave to Little Farms Chapel that was still Christian Reformed in terms of its association an overseeing, I, I, that's the wrong word, an operating steering committee of very godly men. Godly men who understood the significance of all scripture is God-breathed. As these men looked over the landscape of the denomination of which we were a part at that time, we saw problems. Problems. The denial of the first chapters of Genesis. The denial of the unique creation of Adam and the allowability of the fact that Adam actually had animal ancestors. The denial of a worldwide flood. There was the denial of God's election, of the limited atonement of Christ. There was the opening of 
doors, or at least the talk about it, of ecclesiastical office, of deacon, of elder, and of minister to women. There was the beginning discussions being held about the allowability of homosexuals and lesbians to continue without having to repent of their sin as members in good standing of the church. The godly leadership that God provided in that steering committee said, you know, we've grown. God's blessed little farms. We've grown significantly. We're not really a mission church anymore. But I don't think God's calling us to be Christian reformed. You say, well, aren't those just all issues? Yes, but they all stem from one and the same source. And the source was this. In 1972, the Christian Reformed Church, as a denomination at its synod, approved a report. It's called Report 44. It was on the nature and the extent of biblical authority. In which, on the surface looked like it said the right thing. But when you dug deep into the report, what you found out was this. Scripture contains the Word of God. Scripture isn't the Word of God. So is this subject near and dear to little farms? <laughs> yes, it is. Because it was at that point we decided to look around. Is there a faithful denomination of which we can be a member that confesses all Scripture is God-breathed? Men did their homework, did their work. We held discussions with the area Christian Reformed Church. We held discussions with Walker, with Lamont, with Eastmanville, and with Coopersville about that which was going on. We let them know that we were... Uh, we were upset about the direction and that we were contemplating headed in another direction. We let them know. A decision was arrived at that we would talk to two denominations, the United Reformed Churches of North America and the Orthodox Presbyterian Reformed Church. We listened to presentations. We asked questions back and forth at congregational meetings. The United Reformed Churches had just been formed. Just been formed. They were new. They were still trying to get organized. Didn't know for sure where things were going to go, what was going to happen in that new and young denomination. The Orthodox Presbyterian Church gave to us a denomination that had for 70 years, plus or minus a little there, has stood steadfastly on the word of God had over and over again fought the battles and had arrived where God's word arrives. We made the decision to join. An overwhelming decision by this congregation at a congregational meeting. Why do I give you all that history? Because God's word is a breathed out word. And all scripture. We are part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church because we believe that. 
Now think of what has happened since then. Since that point in time, within not only the Christian Reformed Church, but the Reformed Church in America, where have we seen this gone? Well, we've seen it go even further, haven't we? As observers, we can see the fact that the Word of God becomes less and less and less. Now it's moved into the condition of worship. But you see, when God says, keep the Sabbath day holy, and you and I confess that that's a 24-hour day, what do those denominations now say? Oh, you're being way too picky. Day doesn't mean day. Day is just a period of time. So if we end our Sabbath at 11 o'clock, See, then we can go to the buffet yet. We don't have to have evening church. And the only Christian Reformed churches that remain strong are those that continue to seek to confess this. But they are in a small, small, small minority. Why are we Orthodox Presbyterians? Because all scripture is God-breathed. And that is the confession that we make. Not because the Belgic confession says it. It's because that's what God's word says. It's not because the church tells us to believe it. It's because God tells us to believe it. All scripture is breathed out by Why did God do it this way? Why did God give us his word in writing? Why, why did God lead men to be carried by the Holy Spirit, as Peter told us in that passage of Peter, to write? Why, why does Paul say all scripture, graphia, writing, the sacred writings. Why, why did God want it in writing? Because you see, it's so easy to change speech. It becomes harder when the scriptures are written. He did it for two reasons. One, because he wanted himself to be known. God stoops to speak human language so that we might know him. Remember the illustration I gave a few weeks ago about the ant? This is what's going on. It's like if we were to lower ourselves and speak ant. God gives to us graciously his word so that we might know him and that we might know the truth about salvation. We might know the truth about his son, Jesus Christ. For without it, we stand condemned. 
we'd be worshiping the great oak of Belgium. We'd be worshiping the great waterways of the Netherlands. We'd be worshiping the great moon. We'd be worshiping the great sun. But God gives to us his word because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know the way of salvation. Timothy, preach the word. People need to know who God is and what God has done for them. But it's interesting, Debray included one word. He said that God has given to us his word because he cares for us. He cares for us. God breathed out his word so that it was written. So that we might know him, that we might know his son, that we might know the way of salvation. Because he cares for us. He loves us. He loves us and, and wants us to know him. It's an act of his grace. It's an act of his mercy. But this is an act of his love. That's why this needs to become that which we study. Some guy who wrote a book wrote the book because maybe he wanted to make some money. Might be interesting reading. Might be good reading. Might be profitable reading. But it doesn't replace the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. My friends, never look at this book without seeing this is an act of God's love. Father, thank you. That you in your almighty, sovereign, all-wise, all-knowing being stooped to speak to us in a language that we might understand so that we might know you and the path of salvation, that we might know Christ. You love us. May we always stand for the truth that all Scripture is breathed out by you. In Christ's name and for his glory. God's people say, Amen. One